0: Alhamdulillah, Ahmedu Nastainu <speaking> Nastafiro, when I would be lahi min Shiruri and Fusina, women say ati Amalina, Mayati Hillahu Fella Mudulla, Mayudil Fella Hadiella, or Shadu and La Ilaha illallah, Wahdulla Shari Kala, wa Shadu Anna Mohammedan Abu Rasulu, Amma Bad, for in Ahsan al Kalamikalamullah, or Hir al Huda, Huda muhammadin Sallallahu Ali was seldom. وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ So, in the last lesson, it was the first lesson in this uh, new treatise, الجامع لِعِبَادَةِ اللَّهِ Wahda which is, that which brings together the worship of Allah alone. It's a small treatise that defines what is worship, what is ibadah, what is the definition and the meaning of ibadah. And we discussed that in the previous lesson, and we mentioned in the explanation of Sheikh Salih Al Fawzan that it is there are two definitions of ibadah. Can anyone remember what they are? Can what do you remember the two definitions of worship? It's been a while, I guess, it's been four weeks, so it's probably forgotten by now. It's love and That's right, yeah. First definition is that you combine the extremity of love with the extremity of submission or humility you combine these two things together without these without both it cannot be worship it cannot be ibadah so you have to so for example when you when you obey allah and you humble yourself to allah you do it because you love allah and also you humble yourself you lower yourself in front of allah these two things have to be together If for example someone subjugates you and humiliates you and forces you to obey them, is this worship? It is not worship because it is not done with love. It is not done with love. Like for example Fir'aun when he subjugated the Bani Israel and he made them to obey him. This is not worship because it is not done willingly and out of love for the one who is being obeyed. And likewise, if you simply display love, muhabbah, hub, and there is no humbling yourself in obedience and lowering yourself, this also is not worship. Because worship entails that you have to obey and submit and humble yourself and lower yourself be humble so without these two things there, can, there cannot be there cannot be worship so this is one of the definitions and the second definition that we mentioned the most popular and you know definition that we, that we use is can anybody give me that definition remember everything that Allah loves and peace with yeah it is ibadah is a word that refers to everything that Allah loves and is pleased with, which is yeah, which is both inward and outward statements and actions. Right? So Ibadah ibada, اسمٌ جامعٌ. It is a comprehensive word لكل ما يحبه الله for everything that Allah loves or is pleased with. Whether it is the inward or the outward statements and actions. So basically meaning that every action that Allah loves and is pleased with, every statement Allah is loved and pleased with, every belief that you should hold that Allah loves and is pleased with, every feeling of the heart that you should have that, that you have that Allah loves and is pleased with, that all of this the Ibadah refers to all of that refers to all of that. So th- these two definitions we mentioned at the beginning of the previous lesson and we established that therefore there are forms and types of worship which should be given and directed only to Allah Azzawajal and then we moved on to those specific types of worship and this is what this treatise is really dealing with it's dealing with 10 12 also forms and types of worship which only belong which belong only to Allah Azzawajal. So the first of those types of worship was Ad Dua, which we discussed in the previous lesson. Ad dua, which is invoking Allah, making supplication to Allah. And we mentioned that the word dua is repeated frequently in the Qur'an when it talks about the when it talks about making worship only for Allah. And we see that in the Qur'an, the word dua has been linked with both ibadah and with the word deen. With ibadah and the word deen. So for example, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ وُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ Your Lord has said, make dua to me, أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ I will respond to you. So the beginning of the ayah, he commanded make dua to me. Then at the end of the ayah, إِنَّ الَّذين يستقبرون عن عبادتي جحنم داخرين. Indeed, those who are arrogant in away from worshipping me. So here he mentioned the word, Ibada. At the beginning he said, الدُّعَاء. And at the end of the verse, he referred back to it as, Ibadah. So here we have a connection between du'a and ibadah because du'a is really the essence of ibadah, as we mentioned. That when you are making du'a, it is not just du'a. There are many other things that are present with you in your heart at the time that you are making du'a. There are certain beliefs that you bring to mind that Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life, takes life, the one who benefits, the one who harms, the one who guides, the one who misguides. All of these things you are calling upon Allah because you, you are acknowledging this. Your heart is holding these beliefs at the time that you are making dua. Likewise, you have feelings of love. You have feelings of hope, ar-raja, you are hoping in Allah. You are hoping that He will respond to you. You are making tawakkal upon Allah because dua is from the ways and means. So when we speak of dua, it is not just dua that you are just asking for something. Rather du'a, the the, the mere action of du'a is something that has beneath the surface so many other forms and types of worship which are taking place at the same time. Which is why du'a, when you read all of the ayat in the Qur'an, we see an interchange between du'a and ibadah. Ibadah is used in the place of du'a, du'a is used in the place of ibadah which shows that du'a is, is from the greatest forms of worship. And that's why we see it is used du'a-ibadah, du'a-deen, the whole of the deen, the religion. So by way of example, فَادُعُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ This is an example where we see the command to make du'a connected with the deen, with the word deen. So du'a then is from the greatest forms and types of worship it is only directed to Allah azza wa and we do not call upon the dead nor do we call upon the amwat the dead nor do we call upon the uh, the jamadat uh, are those inanimate things which have no life like stones rocks trees you know idols representations of you know of, of people in the form of idol statues All of these things are incapable of answering. When you look at the Qur'an, and you see the arguments against making dua to other than Allah, we see there are rational arguments that Allah presents in all of the ayat that you read. From them is that... And so when we speak of uh, those things besides Allah, we are speaking of idols, stones, trees, angels, prophets, the dead... You know, the elements, everything. So we see that the, the Quranic argument is, for example, just to to summarize, that sometimes we see that the reason given is that they have no control over life and death, benefit and harm. Something that has no control over benefit and harm or life and death, how can you, how can you invoke such a thing or such a being? Right. This is a rational argument presented by Allah to the mushrikeen. Likewise, those who are dead in the graves, they cannot hear. And if they were to hear, then they still wouldn't be able to respond to you. And they have no control over life and death, benefit and harm. And likewise, things that cannot speak and cannot respond in speech, like the idols, for example, as Ibrahim uh, said to his people, do you worship that which does not, you know, does not speak or does not return speech, right? So in the Quran there are, there are rational arguments that explain why, other than Allah, should not be called upon with du'a. They cannot rescue you. They cannot help you. They cannot bring benefit to you. They cannot repel harm from you, and so on and so forth. So th- these are the types of verses that we mentioned in the previous lesson, and uh, we finished by saying. That how can a person leave dua to Allah, the one who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one in whose hands lies benefit and harm, who gives life, takes life, provides, gives provision, and so on and so forth. And then you turn to the dead, the trees, the stones, the one who are not, who are not present in your company, the one, how can you turn? This is, this is the, you know, where, where, where is the intellect? And this is the general message of the Quran in this respect. So this is where we got to in the previous lesson. As a quick recap, uh, we we spoke about ibadah. What is the definition of ibadah? What are the forms and types of ibadah? And we started with du'a. So we start today's lesson, the second lesson then today, which is. So the Sheikh said, "Min anwa'ihā al-du'a." From the types of ibadah is du'a, wal istighana, wal so isti'ana is now the second type of worship. Al-isti'ana is al-'aun, Which means to seek help. To request help or assistance. And it is to request help from someone besides, you know, from someone in an issue from the affairs, in, in an affair from the affairs. Now this isti'ana, Is of two types, or of two levels. Of two types, the first type is, and that you ask for help from someone who is able to help you in that thing. So you're asking for help from someone who has the ability and the power and the capacity to help you in the thing for which you are asking help. Now this is clearly permissible. This is permissible that the creation, they request help from each other in the affairs in which they have the ability. And the asl, the foundation of this, or, or an example of this in the Qur'an, وَتَعَوَنُوا ithmi So seek aid or help or mutually help each other, mutually cooperate and help each other in goodness and piety. And do not aid each other in sin and transgression. So this mutual aid between the people in what they are able, have the power to do so, this is something that is good, is beneficial. And for example, if you ask for someone aid in the, in the sense of financial aid, permissible. If you ask someone to, you know, help you physically to, for example, remove your furniture from your house and put it into the truck, this is obviously common sense. This is This is permissible. To carry something or to help you to build a wall or to help you decorate your house or whatever it is from the affairs of the world. Or to help you, you know, to to uh, plant your seeds and harvest the, 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 the vegetation or whatever else it might be. All of these things we know that people have the ability and the capacity to help you in all of these affairs. And so this is very, very open. So when you request help, as long as the one that you're requesting help from is alive, obviously, and is present in front of you, and the thing that you're asking for help in, he has the ability to do so, then all of this is no doubt, this is clearly clearly permissible but if for example you are sat in your house and you are you know wanting to as I said remove some furniture and you think well Sheikh so and so is you know present in, in a town a hundred miles away or on, the, or on the other side of the, the world in a mosque somewhere and you ask for help from him even though we know that if he was there, he'd be able to help you because he has the capacity to help you. But he's a thousand miles away, somewhere else. This is isti'ana now, this is shirk. Because he is, although he's able to do that thing, he's not present to do that thing. And you are assuming, you're, you're assuming that he's gonna hear you. And that somehow from a thousand miles away, he can help you. He can't help you like that. He can help you if he's present, Physically, we can't help you when he's when he's a thousand miles away. So this isti'ana now, this is major shirk. It is major shirk because you are you are operating on the assumption that he can hear you, firstly, and he can help you, even though he's a thousand miles away in some other location. This now is isti'ana, which is which is clearly shirk. So this leads us to the second uh, second type, obviously, which is the which leads us into the prohibited type of isti'ana, which we've just explained. Al-isti'ana, the second type, al-isti'ana, بغير الله fi ma لَا يَخْدِرُ عَلِيهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ This now is to seek aid from someone or something besides Allah, in which no one has the power except for Allah. So examples, you ask for someone other than Allah to grant you a son or for example to cure an illness to cure an illness and when we say cure an illness we don't mean because you can go to a physician you can go to you, know, you can take medicine it's not really the medicine or the physician who is curing you because the physician the doctor and the medicine are really they are just the ways and means in the middle They are just simply using ways and means which Allah has created through which you are healed. The healer is Allah. Allah is the healer. And in between the healing and you is some knowledge, for example, of Allah's creation or a physician, a doctor who has some knowledge of the cure and he is simply, he simply uh, dispenses that that medication or that treatment or that nutrition or whatever it might be, so he is not curing you. He is just a a, a medium in between the actual healer, a shafi, which is Allah Azawajal, and between yourself. Right. So the the healer is always Allah. But what we mean here that you know when when someone is seeking aid in the cure of a disease, this is like for example, when someone goes. To a tomb or a grave, and he has a disease. Maybe he has cancer or something. Maybe he has some, you know, diabetes. Maybe he has some other uh, chronic illness that he cannot get rid of. And he goes to a grave, and he now he seeks aid. He makes isti'ana. I seek your aid in relieving this illness. This now is not the same as taking the ways and means, like when a doctor for example prescribes you medicine. Because we know that is from the ways and means in which the creation have power and ability to help you and aid you in curing your disease. Or you go to the hospital, or you have some surgery, or you whatever else it might be. In this there is kudra. But now when you are going to a tomb or a grave, or even someone who is alive, breathes, he's a thousand miles away, and you invoke him and you, 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 you make isti'ana. You ask him to heal this disease. This now is major shirk. Because that person does not have the ability to, to cure your disease. Through this particular route. And this particular route is not from the legislated ways and means. Rather, it is from the greatest type and form of shirk. So, asking, seeking, help is, uh, seeking for aid. In having a son, or in offspring when a person is not able to have children, because no one can help you in that regard except for Allah Azza wa uh, or seeking aid in, in, in cure. Another such things which are like this. All of these are sought from Allah Azza The verse in the Quran at the beginning, of Surah Al-Fatiha, This is the foundation which teaches us that isti'ana is only from Allah Azza wa Jal. So first of all, we say, اِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ So here now, this is general. We are speaking of ibadah. We worship you alone. And notice how there is tawheed in this ayah. Because the word the, the, the order has been reversed. Normally we would say, na'bud, na'buduk, na'buduk, We worship you. But the pronoun has been brought to the front, before the, before the verb. And then an emphasis has been added at the beginning. iyaka, iyaka na'bud. So this shows that only you alone do we worship. It is a type of, you know, uh, grammatical uh, way of showing Emphasis and restriction. That only you alone do we worship. إِيَّاكَ wa Isti'anah Is something which is khas. It is something specific. And ibadah is something which is general. So Allah in the, in this ayah, He mentioned the general first. إِيَّاكَ We worship you alone. And then He mentioned something which is a subset. Or a part of ibadah. Which is more specific. And... This is the khas. This is that which is specific. Isti'ana. So isti'ana with Allah Azawajal. Uh, it is only through Allah Azawajal. And it is in those affairs in which no one else has the power and ability to do. Like for example, sending down the rain. It's Allah who sends down the rain. So when there is, when, when there is a drought, we don't go to the tombs and the graves And seek aid from those people because they have no power and ability over this. And likewise in creating and bringing about rizq. And all of of those other affairs which we know only Allah has the power and control over. These affairs are not sought from the dead, nor from the graves, nor from the tombs, nor from the mausoleums, nor from the, the, the idols, nor from the stones or the trees. Anyone who directs this worship, Al-Isti'ana, to other than Allah, then this expels that person from the fold of Islam. So this then is Al-Isti'ana. al-isti'ana. And you will see that the grave worshippers often come with really ridiculous arguments. Arguments which show that they have not understood the Quran, the message of the Quran. They will say things like, well, look, how come you ask people for help and assistance in the worldly affairs? Isn't this shirk? Isn't this shirk? So how can you say that asking help from a wali is, is haram and is shirk? Because all we are doing is asking assistance in those things which those awliya have the ability to, to give assistance. And so it shows that this person hasn't really understood the, the very clear message of the Qur'an, which is very, a common person can read the Qur'an. He does not need to be a scholar because the message of the Qur'an in the affairs of Tawheed are so clear and apparent that even the common ignorant person can understand. Yes, as for those affairs which which to do with the ahkam, the rulings and the affairs of ibadah, and the issues of inheritance, and the issues of divorce, and the issues of marriage, and the issues of you know, purification, and the issues of all these things. Yes, you need an alim, a scholar to derive these rulings. But as for the message, the essential message of the Qur'an, anyone who understands the language of the Qur'an, and is just a common person, it is so abundant, and apparent, and very clear, and very plain. Worship Allah alone do not invoke anyone besides him those besides him cannot benefit nor harm they control neither life nor death all of this is very very apparent and clear and explicit in the quran so 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 these arguments that these people bring uh indicates that obviously they are they are misled and misguided by the evil scholars who bring shubuhat and doubts and you know things of that nature which which veil them and protect them which which, uh, hinder them from actually seeing clearly the actual message of the Qur'an. So this is Al-Isti'ana. Next is Al-Istigatha. Al-Istigatha. What is Al-Istigatha? Al-Istigatha is a type of Isti'ana. It is a type of seeking help. However, it is something that is more specific than seeking help, it is seeking help in a specific situation. That situation is where you are in a calamity or hardship, or a very severe situation, an emergency, a threatening situation, threatening to your to your life or to your limb. This is al istighatha. You are basically you are asking for rescue. Al isti'ana is seeking aid. Al istighatha is seeking rescue in a time of hardship or calamity or difficulty. Right? So al-isti'ana is general, al istighatha is very specific. So again, we see Allah جل, he mentions in surah al-anfal, rabbakum Referring to the believers in a situation of battle in a situation of hardship, difficulty, calamity. And Allah says, when you sought rescue from your Lord, and He responded to you. This is in the battle of Badr, when the affair became very difficult upon the Muslimin. They made istighatha to Allah, and He aided and He supported them. And so this shows that al-istighatha, likewise we have to, Direct this only to Allah Azawajal. And again, the scholars explain that al istighatha is also of two types. Because al istighatha sometimes you can ask for rescue in a difficult situation from a person who is able to help you. For example, you are walking down the street and a group of people come and they try to mug you. So they pin you on the ground, they try to steal your wallet and they beat you and harm you and and then you cry, you ask for help, you ask for rescue. Right? You know there's you know some people nearby or in a shop or something, you raise your voice and you ask for rescue, ask for help. This is perfectly permissible. Because here now, this is an example where you're seeking rescue in a thing which people have the ability to do. But as for what we see the grave worshippers and people like them doing in times of hardship, in times of difficulty, right, they They have an accident in some place. And then they call out to Sheikh so-and-so or Wali so-and-so, you know, who's dead and buried in the graves. And they are asking for rescue. Right? This now, this now is istighatha, which is the great, the, the great, you know, the great shirk. They make istighatha by way of the dead. And they scream and they shout out their names when they're on the land or, you know, on the sea. You know, when they, when they, when they face hardship, when they face difficulty, and all of this is an ex- really extreme form of shirk. It is worse, even worse, than the very first mushriks to whom the Messenger of Allah was sent. Because those mushriks, as we read in the Quran, فَإِذَا رَكِبُوا فِي الْفُلْكِ دَعْوُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدّين. They were more intelligent because when they used to go on the sea, in the journeys, and the ocean became rough and the you know the waves used to come and envelope them and they were tossed side to side and they they were thinking that they were about to be destroyed. الله الله they would forget all of their deities on the land because they knew that nothing can really help them in this situation except Allah. And they would make istighatha from Allah. Oh Allah help us, oh Allah rescue us. Because they knew that no one can You know, what's an idol going to do? What's a a, a wali, a dead person in a grave, what's he going to do? Right? So they were intelligent, they knew. And then when they came back to the land after Allah saved them, then they again would commit shirk again. But these people that we see in our time, and they have been present for a number of centuries at least, that in times of hardship, in times of calamity, we see them making dua, making isti'ana, making istighatha, to other than Allah, Azza wa Jal. In affairs in which only Allah can help. So, we see that this is from the uh, greatest of affairs that, you know, which, which entails shirk. So this then is istighatha. Some other scholars, they mention certain conditions. For example, like Shaykh Salih al-Shaykh, he explains, he says that in order for this to be valid, when you make istighatha or isti'ana, It has to be made from someone who is living. He has to be He has to be Present in front of you. He has to be He can actually hear you. And he has to be He has to have the ability in that thing in which you are asking him for help or rescue. Right? If any one of these things are not present, this then entails the major shirk. Like, so for example, let's say someone is hay, he's living, he's samir, he can hear, and he is Qadir, he has the ability. But he's on the other side of the planet, he's on the other side of the earth somewhere. And then you make isti'ana or istigatha to him. Right? This now is major shirk. This now is made shirk. Why? Because he is not hadir. He's not, he's not present in front of you. And by making dua to him, by making isti'an or you are assuming that number one, he's hearing you in the same way that Allah can hear you. You're assuming that as he is that a thousand miles away, he can help you in the way that you want to be helped. Right? You're assuming to give him a power and control over the ways and means like Allah has control over the ways and means. And this clearly is shirk in uluhiya, and it implies shirk in rububiya, Because you wouldn't be calling upon this person if you did not believe that he has the ability to help you and that he can actually hear you from a thousand miles away. Right? So, and likewise with istigha, likewise if the person was dead, so he's... Uh, he's hadir, you are at the tomb. He's obviously, he's not sami' and he's not qadir. So all, obviously some of them, if someone is not hay, then some of the other ones disappear in any case. So, th- so these are the four conditions that the scholars mention. Hay, hadir, sami', qadir. And if one is, anyone is absent, then it would entail the uh, major shirk. So this is, this is al-istighatha. Next, we move to dhabh, wa dhabh al-qurban, which is offering sacrifices. wa dhabh offering sacrifices. al-dhabh is of two types. The sacrifice is of two types. The Sheikh mentions al qism al-awwal, al-dhabh li lahm The first is simply a sacrifice, the normal sacrifice that we do in order to eat the meat. To eat, the routine eating, slaughtering and eating of meat. This type of slaughter is simply something which is permissible and it does not constitute worship. It does not constitute worship as such. Rather it is only done for eating. And it is mubah. Except that whenever we do this type of slaughter... Then we must mention the name of Allah when we perform the slaughter. Do not eat from that which Allah's name has not been mentioned upon. So, this is the routine dhabh, the routine slaughter, which is for the purpose of eating food. But there is another type of slaughter which is done as a means of seeking nearness to Allah. Right? So the difference is that the first one is just something that relates to the affairs of, you know, the, the world, eating food, you know, uh, and the only requirement is that you mention Allah's name when you slaughter. This one is when the slaughter itself is a means of becoming closer to Allah Azza wa And this is from the forms and types of worship. So this is the slaughter, for example, in the, uh, Al-Adahi, which is the, you know, the slaughter of the, uh, in Eid al-Adha, and the, the Hadi when you come for pilgrimage, and likewise the Aqiqah for the newborn, all of these are actually a type of worship. This sacrifice now is a type of worship. Why? Because there is some, there is like a gratitude, there is something of devotion, uh, behind it, <coughs> right? On the day of, uh, Eid adha, or in hajj, or the aqiqah for the, you know, female or male child. And so these types of sacrifices are acts of worship. And they are not befitting for other than Allah Azza wa Anyone who sacrifices for other than Allah Azza wa from the angle of seeking needless to Allah, then this is the major, major shirk. وَمَمَاتِي wa wa الْعَالَمِينَ say indeed my prayer and my sacrifice, my life and my death is for Allah, the Lord of the worlds here sacrifice has been linked to as salah they 've been connected to each other, and some of the scholars they actually go they explain how and why um Sacrifice is worship. And so from the scholars like Sheikh Salih Ali Sheikh, he explains that if you look at sacrifice, it entails the spilling of blood. And when you spill blood, who are you spilling blood for? You are spilling blood for the one who put the blood into the animal, because blood is a means of life. By the, the blood itself represents life. Who is the one who put the blood in the animal? It is Allah Azawajal. Allah Azawajal, he gave the animal life by way of this blood. So when you are slaughtering the animal, which literally, which essentially is to spill the blood of the animal, for whom are you spilling it? You are spilling it for Allah Azawajal out of devotion to Allah Azawajal. Because you know that he is the one who gave the animal life. So this is the angle from which it is worship and veneration of Allah azza Hence it is, it, it, it is worship. Likewise the other ayah, Rabbiqa So pray to your Lord and sacrifice. See in these two verses, there's a connection between as-salah prayer, and sacrifice. قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي nusuki." Say, my prayer and my sacrifice, my life and my death, are for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And pray to your Lord and sacrifice. All of them, they are, they are, they are, they are both connected. So just like it is not permissible for you to pray to other than Allah, it is not permissible for you to sacrifice to other than Allah. With this type of uh, sacrifice, which is seeking nearness to Allah Azzawajal. So therefore, if someone was to sacrifice and devote the sacrifice to the dead, or to a to a grave, or to a tomb, like what we see from you know the grave worshippers today, then this person becomes a mushrik with the major shirk. We see in the hadith of Ali Radiallahu Ta'ala anhu that the Messenger of Allah he said. لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ li اللَّهِ May Allah curse the one who sacrifices to other than Allah. man <laughs> May Allah curse the one who curses his own parents. La'an <laughs> muhdithan. May Allah curse the one who introduces, you know, who who introduces something into the affair of Islam, you know, who commits something of oppression or who and any seeks refuge, and he, he's given protection by someone when he shouldn't really be given protection. Allahu <laughs> man May Allah curse the one who altered the boundaries of, of land. Meaning, someone, in terms of the ownership of land, he then goes and changes the boundaries and extends the boundaries. Right? May Allah curse such a person. So the shahid in this hadith, the point of evidence in this hadith, is those who sacrifice to other than Allah... Like for example, they sacrifice to the jinn. You see that, you know, uh, they maybe are suffering from the jinn in one way or another, and they go and sacrifice a chicken in a remote place, in a deserted place, or by a river. And the aim is to please the jinn so that the jinn no longer harm them. This now is major shirk. Because the sacrifice here now is not for Allah. It is for the jinn and to please the jinn and to give devotion to the jinn. And this is how often you see that the magicians, the sorcerers, you know, who come and they pose as healers. They're really magicians. And sometimes they will say to the ignorant people who come to them, yes, I know how to cure your disease. Go to such and such place, take some chickens, sacrifice them, spill the blood, or smear the blood in a certain deserted place on the walls. Right? And so what's really happening is that the Shiateen, the jinn, who are in league with the magician, and the magician is in league with the jinn. You know, they have told him that tell this person, go and do this, and you know, w- you know, we, we will cure whatever problem or harm he has from his magic, his sihar, or whatever else it is. Right? So this is how the shayateen, the jinn they lead the people to commit major shirk. Or, like, for example, when people they move to a new house and they want to be protected in the house, what will they do? They'll go and sacrifice an animal the sacrifice is being done to ward off the evil spirits or the jinn or misfortune this now again is being dedicated to other than allah and the aim is that they want to live happily in the house that the jinn won't come in the house right they will spill blood at the door and they will you know uh, you know put some of the blood on the on the uh, around the door and things of that nature All of this, they are really seeking nearness to the jinn, so that the jinn do not harm them. Likewise some other people, you will see, business people, when they open a business, and they want to be successful in the business, they will again, they open a factory, for example. The first, and and just at the point, when they start the manufacturing process, when they first switch the machines on, you will see these ignorant people, they will make a sacrifice. Right? And the sacrifice again is to, you know, to be successful and not to be, uh, not, not to be ruined. Again, this is like superstitious, like a superstitious, superstitious type of, <coughs> you know, uh, the thing that they're doing. And likewise, you see, there are certain customs as well among some of the people that when a king or a minister comes, when he comes off the aeroplane, they will actually make a sacrifice at the time that he arrives And the intent behind this is That when they make this sacrifice They, they, they want um, Some good to come out of his visit Right, so he's come for some diplomacy To discuss some policies Or whatever else there might be And they're hoping that by the sacrifice that is made Some good That will, will, will arise out of this This now is making dhabh For who? For the minister, for the king Right, so all of these are examples and manifestations of how you can make sacrifice to other than Allah. To show devotion or to venerate other than Allah. Out of expecting either repelling harm, in the case of the jinn and magic, or expecting benefit. Right? So this is from the greatest types of, you know, from major shirk. But as for, for example, if you you were to simply sacrifice for the sake of a reception, like someone comes from abroad, he's an important person, and you sacrifice a sheep or cow or something, and it's just, just for the food. Obviously, this is nothing wrong with it, because we already established, and you make like a walima, like a reception, and you know, this, of course, there's nothing wrong with this. This is just the normal sacrifice for the sake of food. If they were to do that instead, to honor the guest and to, you know, show a good impression, fine. But as for well, this practice that you find with some people, this now is the major it is the major shirk. So this is an, uh, this is the uh, al-dhabh. and next the next type of worship is another 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 is making an oath making making an oath. The explanation of this 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 type of worship another is التزام عبادة لم يلزم بها الشرع. It is to make an act of worship binding upon you. Something which the legislation did not make binding upon you. Right? So to make oaths isn't something... You know, like when you say, for example, that if, you know, if I receive such and such, then I will fast for three days, or I will fast for the whole month of so-and-so, or I will give charity, so-and-so. Allah never made the obligatory upon you. You made it obligatory upon yourself. This is the meaning of making an oath, or taking an oath, another, Right? Something that Allah never made wajib upon you. But then you say, you, you make the oath, by making the oath, what you are doing is you are making something not obligatory, obligatory upon yourself. And so when you make an oath, it is wajib upon you to fulfill the oath. Unless, of course, it is an oath that is made for something which is haram. If you make an oath for something which is haram, this, obviously, it's, 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 it's nullified. You, you you cannot fulfill the oath because it is haram. So it is from the types of worship we find that in Surah Al Insan, Allah azawajal, he says, Yufuna bin Mustatira. Speaking about the believers, that they fulfill their oaths and they fear a day whose evil is widespread. So Allah azawajal, He praised the believers because they fulfilled the oaths. Notice, as the scholars explain that in the Qur'an, Allah does not command people to make something obligatory upon themselves, to make an oath in this manner. Right? It is not like commanded, like like we see from the other types and forms of worship. But once a person makes an oath, it now becomes wajib for him to fulfill that oath. That's the difference. Right, so those who have made an oath, it is praiseworthy for them to fulfill the oath, even though we are not commanded from the outset to make oaths, right so, and also another ayah in which Allah <laughs> he says whatever you spend of any expenditure or any oath that you make, then indeed Allah, He knows of it. Notice how in this verse, Allah, He made a connection between spending, giving a charity, which is not obligatory, to give sadaqah, and He mentioned the oath in the same context. Right? Because to make, to oaths are not obligatory to make. But once you make them, it is wajib to fulfill them. So see how the connection is between something that is not obligatory and something which is not obligatory? Did you notice how early how we see that as-salah was connected with an-nahab, which is wajib, uh, to be done only for Allah? Right? And here we have something so we can see the you know uh, how Allah's speech is exact and very precise. So Another, then, is ibadah to Allah So let them fulfill their oaths, and let them circumambulate the ancient house. So all of these verses, we see that they speak of the fulfillment of the oath. These verses mention the fulfillment of the oath. So, fulfilling the oath is an ibadah, then, once you say to yourself, "Oh Allah, if you grant me such and <coughs> such. Sorry? The first verse, Surah Al-Insan, Surah 76, verse number 7. Yufuna bin uh Surah Al-Baqarah, verse number t- Surah number 2, verse 270. And the third one, Wal-Yufu Nudurahum, Surah Al-Hajj, 22nd Surah, verse number 20, 29. So, for example, a person makes an oath of oh Allah, if you do such and such, if you, you know, grant wellness to my child, if you remove this illness, if you grant me such and such, then I will do such and such. I will give charity. I will do such and such nafal prayers. I will, um, I will fast a certain amount. Or I will do hajj, I will do umrah. All of these things, when he makes the, the, the oath, then he must fulfill it. Whoever makes an oath to obey Allah, then let him indeed obey Allah. And whoever makes an oath to disobey Allah, then let him not disobey Allah. Okay, so we, we've now established that when you make an oath and you make it to Allah, and you make something binding upon yourself, which is which is not binding, then it is wajib for you to fulfill that oath. And fulfilling that oath now is, is from ibadah. It is worship of Allah Azza wa But if you now make an oath, for example, to a dead person, and You know, you make an oath to do something to a dead, you know, in relation to a dead person. This now is an oath which entails major shirk. Right? So the way, the the form that this would take is you go to a grave, for example, and you say, Oh, wali of Allah, oh, pious friend of Allah, if you remove this disease, if you help me in my calamity, if you help me to, to, to have some offspring, or whatever ailment or whatever problem or might predicament it might be, then I will you know, give charity, I will spend so and so in charity, I will go and do umrah, I will fast or whatever. This this oath now is being made, is not to Allah, not for Allah. It is being made to the deceased, to the dead. This now is major shirk. Because an oath is only made to Allah Azza wa This is the major shirk. This now leads us to the next form and type of worship which is Al-Khawf. Al-Khawf. And we'll finish with this one inshallah ta'ala. So Al-Khawf Al-Khawf is from the actions of the heart. These these are feelings that the heart feels and experiences. And it is a type of worship which is qalbiya There are numerous types of worship which are only in the heart. There is mahabbah there is love there is khawf which is fear there is raja which is hope there is tawakkul and upon Allah these we shall discuss inshallah ta'ala but the khawf here is the khawf of ibadah the the, the, you know, the, 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 the the worship which is which is khawf which is worship but we know that there are different types of worship we know that we experience different types of worship a person knows that he experiences different types of worship so are all these types of khawf afwan the different types of fear are they all you know shirk or is there some tafsil is there some detail to this issue so the type of fear that we are speaking of which constitutes worship is al-khawf alladhi yakunu ma'ahu ta'zim wa mahabbatun. it is the fear which has alongside it veneration and love. Right? This is the type of fear which is shirk with Allah Azza wa Jal and it is only to be given to Allah, uh, It it is it only to be directed to Allah Azza wa Jal. There's another word which the scholars give to this, it is called khawfussir. sir It is like an inward, it's like an inward Type of fear, and this is only to be directed to Allah Azza wa Let's give. Let's give an example. The best way to explain this is to give an example. There's uh, there's there's a there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an example that the scholars some of the scholars give uh, Sheikh Saleh Al Sheikh in his uh, explanation of uh, the three principles. He mentions a student of knowledge who was in Egypt and as he was about to get into a taxi and this is near the place where, where there is a shrine of Ahmad al Badawi right there's a place in Egypt called Tanta Tanta in I think in the north region of Egypt and in this re- in this region there is a shrine of a person by the name of Ahmed Al Badawi. He was a deviant, a heretic, a, 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 bat, like a so extreme Sufi. And this student of knowledge, he got into a taxi, and as he was getting into a taxi, a child came to him, and asked him for him for some sadaqa. Give me some sadaqa. So the student of knowledge, he gave him some money. Then this child, when he looked at the amount of the money, he said that I swear to you, I swear to you by al-Badawi. Right, so he swore by al-Badawi, I ask you by al-Badawi, that you give me more than this. So then the student of knowledge said, okay, come, give, give me the money back that I gave to you. So the child thought that he's going to take that from him, from him, and give him more in exchange. So he took the money off him and he said, "Right, I'm not giving you anything because you swore by Al-Badawi, and this is shirk with Allah Azawajal." Now, while this is taking place, the taxi driver is listening to everything. He's listening to everything. So. The student of knowledge. He gets into the taxi and he says, "Right, take me to such and such place." As the taxi driver is is driving the car, he's repeating to himself, "Ustur, ustur, ustur, ustur." And so, the student, of, the student of knowledge is thinking, "What what is this man? What, what is what is this man saying? What's he what's he saying?" And so, as they they go on, you know, on on the journey, uh, as they, as they come to the end of the journey, he says to him. I heard you say, ustur, ustur, ustur. What, what is, what do you mean, ustur? He's saying, so the taxi driver, he said, he said, because an oath, because, uh, like an oath was made or the, 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 the child swore by al Badawi that you should give to him and you did not give to him, then I was seeking protection. I was seeking for help. I was asking Al-Badawi. To protect, protect me, protect me. Because I fear that the car, something might happen to the car. Right? So this fear now, this fear that this taxi driver have had, this is خوف sir. This is خوف which has with it what? ta'zeem Right? He's fearing, but this fear has with it also ta'zeem Because he's venerating al-Badawi. He's displaying a type of love for al-Badawi. He's venerating al-Badawi. This this ta'zeem involved. This is the of sirr. This is the khawf which is ibadah. This is the major shirk that takes a person outside the fold of Islam. Now, as for khauf, the khawf, which is, which is not like this, the khawf, which is tabi'i. Tabi'i. Right? So, for example, you fear, you know, from some thugs. Or you fear from a wild animal, a, a poisonous, you know, animal like a, you know, scorpion, for example, or a tiger, for example, or things of that nature. Or you fear an enemy. You fear the enemy in battle. All of these are natural types of fear. These are things which which bring harm to you in in the worldly sense, and it is an instinct it is something instinctual that Allah has put within you that if you didn 't have this fear, if you didn 't have this instinct, then you wouldn 't take the measures to protect yourself from harm so to to to, to fear naturally to, to have this natural type of fear from you know from uh, you know things like burglary and being uh, beaten up, being mugged, being killed. Uh, and all these things, which bring you know, which, which bring harm to you, all of this is a natural type of fear. It does not enter into worship. It is not ibadah. It is something like an instinct that you feel that Allah has put within you as a safety mechanism, which sometimes it becomes expressed in certain situations, and it's there as a, as a means of you know, to 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 for you to take measures to protect yourself. This is not ibadah. So these are the two types of khawf that the scholars mention, one which is shirk, which has with it ta'zeem and muhabba, and the other one which is devoid, which is purely, purely natural. There's also another type that really enters into the realm of, which we can add here, which is like a type of minor shirk. Let's say you fear something, which is not really something that ought to be feared. This is like when we get into the realm of superstition. Where you believe something to be a cause when it is not a cause. This is what we find in many of the types of things which are, which are from the Manish So for example, you see that maybe, you know, a bird like the, the Arabs used to do, like a bird would come and it would fly in a certain direction above the heads. And they would take it as an omen. They would take it as a bad sign, and therefore they would actually postpone the journey. Right, so now this is a type of fear, on the basis of something, which for which there should there's, there's no reason, there's there's no basis between a bird flying towards the left overhead, and some calamity. There's, there's there's no connection between these two things, right? You've made a false connection. There's no basis for you to be fearful of this. Right, and so therefore, this now becomes a type of fear which which is prohibited, and it enters into into the realm of minor shirk, and this is why you will find that in Kitab al-Tawhid, you'll find that towards the the end of the book there are chapters that deal with things like omens and things of that nature, which enter into this type of thing where you where you believe something to be a sabab from the asbab when it actually is not. You you believe something to be from the causes and effects, the ways and means, which when it is not from the causes and effects and the ways and means. Right? So that, that again is something that is unlawful. It is misplaced fear. But as for the, the fear, which is the major shirk, it is that which has with it the ta'zeem, mahabbah, it is the khawfus of sir that we see where these people have a type of veneration for the awliya, where they think something is going to befall them. If they are disrespected and, and things of that nature. So this is Khawf, and inshallah ta'ala we'll conclude our lesson here today. And we have in front of us numerous other types of worship still. We have Ar Raja, hope, At Tawakkul, Al Inaba, Al Mahabbah, Al Khashya, Al Raghba, Al Rahbah, At Ta'alluh, Al Ruku'a, Al Sujood, Al Khushu'a, Al Tadallul, Al All of these inshallah ta'ala we'll continue discussing in. Uh, our next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina <speaking> Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. <foreign language>